sunlight hurts my eye And something without warning love Bears heavy on my mind Then I look at you And the world's alright with me Just one look at you And I know it's gonna be Welcome to WNHH FM's 103.5 Just in Time Conversations. I'm your host, Justin Farmer, inviting you to be in community with us in conversations about ideas that matter with people making a difference. Today, our guests are Lane Cobb and Frank Panzarella uh, of Progressives uh, Against Medical Suicide. Uh, thank you all so much for being with us today. Okay, I'd just like to say that most people pronounce my name Kolb. Oh, sorry. That's okay. It's only a four-letter word, but nobody gets it right. So it's mostly I go by Elaine Kolb. People will recognize that more. Hi, everyone. And thanks for inviting us. <clears throat> no problem. And so, you know, I, I, I had a, a chance to connect with a good friend and, and they mentioned, right, the work that y'all are doing uh, with progressives against suicide. Um, so before we get into all that, you know, I, I us, younger people, the millennials, the Zoomers, right? We always have hot takes on stuff. And so, you know, I, I said, you know, one of my hot takes, right, is that uh, accommodations, right, are not just for disabled people, but for able-bodied people. Um, and oftentimes you think about ramps, elevators, things like that. They often end up benefiting everyone. And so I want to you know, that's my hot take, right? Um, what's something that, you know, you know to be an empirical truth and for some reason people don't understand, right? One of the things for me is like, I don't believe in umbrellas, right? I'm just like, cool, wear a rain jacket. I don't know, you have your two hands. So what's a, what's a truth for y'all that uh, some of our community members are confused about? Okay, well, this is Elaine Kolb, and I would like people to begin to understand that ableism uh, is a public health crisis. Uh, and your terminology, I understand, but I would like to encourage people to begin to acknowledge also that the term able-bodied is incomplete mm. that we are all of us people um some people have disabilities and some people are not yet disabled because not de yet disabled people may require the accommodation at any time Thanks. 
and people who today may be completely uh, having in their minds no problems may actually have problems that they don't even realize they have. <laughs> you know, it's not it's not like people always understand even their own bodies and their own uh, situations. Uh, and, you know, we like to, to say that cliche of, you know, there but for the grace of God go I, you know, that's this can it. In a way, people are saying when they say that they're hoping it never happens to them, but things do happen to people. Things people can change every minute, and in that process, they need to realize that uh, circumstances change. The needs that they have can change as well, and to respect that with all people and all things, actually, all living things. <clears throat> That is definitely, definitely true. Uh, I thank y'all, thank y'all for for sharing your perspectives. I uh, so you know there there are many heated and spirited uh, conversations about euthanasia and assisted suicide, and so I guess I, I want to hear from y'all's perspective some of the concerns of why, you know, y'all as progressives, right? People who are forward thinking, who are, 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 I know do many different things in the community, many different types of advocacy. What are some of your main concerns around assisted suicide as it is? Wanna go first? Well, why don't, can you go first? Because then sure. I wanna explain where I come from because it's different. Um, Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> well, like for me, uh, one starting point would be let's just look at what we have for a healthcare system, and that's a, a to me is a really great starting point because um, we have a healthcare system that already is loaded with all kinds of inadequacies and difficulties and nuances. And every situation is different in every hospital and in every nursing home. You can have wonderful aides and wonderful nurses and people who really try their hardest to do everything right. But then you have systems at work and a system that's based on money rather than on healthcare uh, can create a lot of serious problems. I'll give you one tiny example from my own personal experience of my mother who had Alzheimer's. And at one point had to go into the hospital for respiratory issues. And when I took her to the hospital, I took her into the, the ER, the emergency room, and I had to tell the doctors about her condition and that my mom had very expensive hearing aids and that she needed to be taken care of. And um, in the process, one end of the hospital doesn't know what the other end is doing. So even if you say something to somebody in the emergency room, nobody along the line of command was telling the other people that this person was had Alzheimer's and that they had to need a, there should be a protocol for Alzheimer patients. Well, it turns out they lost her hearing aid. They didn't take care of her properly. When I went to visit her in the hospital, and it was time for her lunch. They had pushed a cart in there and just left it there as if they're expecting someone who has Alzheimer's to feed themselves. Oh, God. 
So see what I mean by even small problems like that can become very big problems when you're in an institutional environment that doesn't really take into account real circumstances. And I think when you get to the issues of of uh, assisted suicide, this becomes even more amplified because people who don't have advocates, people who are low income, people who are disabled, people who are even the prejudices of the people within the establishments themselves on how they look at people are not taking in all these things into account and not, you know, treating people in the same way. That's my starting point. <laughs> Thank you. And um, this is just so personal for me. Okay. I'm, <clears throat> I'm doing my best to allow myself to feel and express what I'm feeling and not keep up the brave front. Mm. Okay. <sighs> Briefly. And I am a charter member of On and On Anonymous. I can go on and on and on. But anyway, 45 years ago, over 45 years ago, September 30th, 1977, I was 28 years old, if anything, abnormally healthy. More of your standard, you know, young leftist, activist, lesbian, if there is such a thing. <laughs> I'm not standard anything. But anyway, a stranger came up to me and grabbed me and stabbed me in the back. That's how I got my disability. Mm. Almost killed me. And at the time, I was involved with an organization that worked with prisoners and families, an interracial organization in Atlanta, Georgia. You think that's enough combinations of things? Anyway, even though I almost died, I do it now and understand that it was a backhanded blessing. Mm. It was the only way that I could evolve and grow and understand the things that I needed to understand so that I could become who I have become and be the one that's providing what I have been guided and gifted to provide. Mm. But I could never run again. Lots of people who have traumatic experiences for at least a period of time want to commit suicide. It's typical, mm. it's common, it's understandable. And yet, for me personally, I had already had enough understanding and direct personal experience to understand a lot of things that a lot of people don't. 
like my sister Carol, before I was injured, she had two brain surgeries and was recovering from that. Now, she would be one of the people that most people, relatively progressive and, by the way, mostly privileged and typically white folks, would say they'd rather be dead than to be like my sister Carol, or even like me. They say it to me, to my face. Mm. Oh, Elaine, you're so amazing. I just think it's so wonderful what you do. They think it's a compliment. They say, if I was like you, I'd rather be dead. Excuse me? Mm. So I got involved early on this was 1977. I got involved with disability rights things. In 1987, I connected up with ADAPT. ADAPT was the organization American Disabled for Accessible Public Transportation. We were the shock troops that got the Americans with Disabilities Act passed, which was signed almost 33 years ago. And yet, we're still struggling to get basic things today, every day, every wow. single day. So there's been a lot of progress, but also ableism is one of the issues. And also another term I want people to hear and begin to incorporate, disabilophobia. Wow. The fear of disability is like homophobia. So in 1996, a spinoff of ADAPT, Diane Coleman, founded the organization called Not Dead Yet. Look it up, notdeadyet.org. And I wrote the song for the organization in 1996. Hey. So locally here, I moved to Connecticut in 88. Then, uh, I forget the year, but Second Thoughts Connecticut was a spin-off of Not Dead Yet, and that's been going on, and I've been involved with that and trying to resist this highly organized, well-funded juggernaut trying to push for assisted suicide. Mm -hmm. And year after year, we have to do that. And now I have joined progressives against assisted suicide because to be honest, progressives have been the ones that have been in the forefront of saying, my life, my death, my choice. They literally say that. They use that as one of their mottos. We need well-funded, absolutely universal mm. healthcare for everyone, no exceptions, with provision of home care in the community with equipment, adaptive equipment, therapies, all the things that the fancy people get to have but those of us who are struggling to live 
get denied and get put on waiting lists. Mm. So progressives against assisted suicide. Very important. It's really important that progressives catch on and realize that this juggernaut pushing for assisted suicide is really about euthanasia and they're going to kill whole bunch of us look up what's going on in Canada. It's completely bonkers. It's the most extreme place in the whole world. And that's saying something. For those of y'all who are just joining us, you are listening to Just In Time Conversations, WN and HHFM's uh, 103.5. I'm your host, Justin Farmer. Elaine Cole. <laughs> uh, is with us uh, from Progressives Against Assisted Suicide, um, sharing her perspective. Um, I, I guess a follow-up question, um, uh, Elaine. Um, you know, I you mentioned something, right? That, and I think this is true. Uh, for for as you shared for a great deal of people is that when you're seriously disabled when something changes and, and you have some something traumatic change your your lifestyle your your dramatically change your ability that for a great deal of people they mourn what they've lost they've mourned uh what they had hoped to gain and, 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 and that it's normal to have this sense of despair. And so, you know, I, I guess, you know, one of the questions people always kind of throw around in this conversation is, right, um, shouldn't people be able to make a decision for themselves? And, and so, you know, where does agency come in? And then what I hear y'all, right, Frank and yourself talking about is systematic supports, right? Uh, if the systematic supports aren't there, if the wraparound services aren't there, um, you know, how can we have that conversation? But for those who, you know, are listening to this program, genuinely coming to to hear like what, what would you say to them or what are some of your thoughts that you've grappled with as you come to, to understand this discussion and be part of it? I'm a poet, among other things, okay? And this is a haiku that I wrote. Let's agree on this put all life above profits work out the details birthing and dying processes are complicated i just got a new grand nephew yesterday yes big boy over nine pounds, 21 inches. Oh, he was a big boy. Anyway, 
dying process is also complicated Mm. and it's inevitable it has to happen and yet how it happens we do have some choices about and when i say comprehensive universal health care i also mean really comprehensive palliative care so that people who have intense pain can have it treated and they've come up with amazing things that can help people who are intense pain not dying always but intense pain there are things lots of things that can be done but lots of people don't qualify for them or don't know about them Mm. then hospice care make hospice care fully available and don't tie it to profits right now in canada they're pulling the funding from hospices that won't kill people it's all about death is cost effective and people are literally asking for and being euthanized because of poverty because they can't find housing that's what we're facing here so yes personal choice one of my cousins (laughs) had ALS amyotrophic lateral sclerosis terrible disease um he said some people say it's Lou Gehrig's disease he said I say it's Gary Kolb's disease because that was his name. And he and his wife decided that when he got to a certain point and could not live off the ventilator, that they would make the decision as to when and he would go. And that's what they did. And it was very controversial in my family, but I absolutely supported it because I knew that it was his decision and their decision and you know so it can happen all different kinds of ways but to be coerced into it and then just condemned and killed no and that's what's happening and and well anyway enough i'm sorry i talked too much i i i guess a a question uh uh for frank yeah Uh, and then uh, of course elaine i would love to hear uh, where, where did he go? <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you consider a quality of life, right? Because I, I feel that's a big question around this conversation is like, what does right a person consider a quality of life, right? Yeah, uh, you know, that is a, it is both a, an individual thing and and a societal thing what is quality of life so it's it's not an easy thing to necessarily um you know put into 10 simple words because um everybody's particular reality is different and so in many ways everybody has to determine what is quality quality of life for them individually 
but it also has a societal aspect and a class aspect over if society determines what is their definition of a quality of life, that may not actually actually be the case uh, for every individual. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They might they might just set a very certain kind of limitation on what should be the quality of life. But what is the reality for each individual? You know, take somebody like um, Stephen J. Hawking. You know, you know he's attached to machines. Uh, his voice is is he's aided by uh, uh, electronic devices, but he he had a whole world inside of his head, and a whole incredible contribution of, to life that he expressed in his ability to be participate in life in whatever way he felt was, and you know, and even on that level, the way we define quality of life is can sometimes for me be a little strange because our society tends to look at only things through money or what's productive. If you are not considered a productive person in life, you don't get treated as if you have the same uh, standard for quality of life that any other people should have. And to me, that's an odd definition because we we don't have that problem when we look out our window and look at a tree nobody nobody says that that tree has to be productive but it has the grace and beauty and nobility of anything in the universe and and so what are the standards for the things like that and you know i think we have to give the greatest credence possible to the individual's ability to find the ways to express themselves and the way to live in the world and give them that freedom. And, you know, healthcare is a major aspect of that. If people are not given the, 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 all the possible things that we can to help them implement the life that they want, then it's society is failing the people in that regard. You know, so to me, quality is, tied to those issues, you know. Sorry for getting so philosophical there. No, no, I I I I I I asked you, I'm like, I suppose it takes a lifetime to figure out what a quality of life is. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> May I? Yeah, please. <clears throat> this is really emotional. Mm. 24 years ago at this time, my partner for 11 and a half years, Patty Deke, was dying. We did not quite yet know that, although her lungs collapsed in uh, December of 1998. And this was after she had been born and lived on this planet for 40 years under a death sentence because she was born 
with complicated disabilities that would just get worse all the time. So she was told from the time she was a child that she should expect that she was going to die young. You know how hard it is to try to live under a death sentence when you're a child? She was very feisty. And she and I fell in love, and I knew she, about her disability. It was going to get worse all the time. So I knew that when we got together. And she did almost die on multiple occasions. And she was in huge danger every time she went to the hospital, even though we had to go. Because they did not accommodate her. She also had hearing aids in both ears, which we had to try to make sure didn't get lost. And also that the people understood that if they came in and went blah, blah, blah and left, she couldn't hear them. We put signs all over her room. I had to go home once in a while. Made no difference. Anyway. She trusted me because she knew that I would support her, whatever her decision. If she decided she was ready to go, she could go. But if she wanted to fight, I would back her up. And she fought back every time. And she would say to me, Elaine, am I dying this time? And I would say, well, you're in critical condition. It could go either way. Um, but, you know, you've bounced back quite a few times. And doctors, they really don't know. They make their best guess. But, you know, there's a possibility. And so I, you know, if you want to go for it, I'll back you up. And then the medical people would be saying to me, don't you think it's time to let her go? And I would say, if that's your attitude, I want someone else on her case. And that's how it went. And then her lungs collapsed. And she had to go on a ventilator. And she had to make the decision. And I said I would back her up. But if you go on a ventilator. Now, we had friends that were on ventilators and lived good lives and had quality of life. They had meaningful lives. Mm. And we both knew that. And so afterwards, Patty said, I, I was never something I thought I would go for, but I wanted to live. I loved our life. So she said that she wanted to go on the ventilator if I would agree to learn how to do the trach care, because someone had to do it. Mm. Hardest thing I've ever done. So she went on the ventilator. I learned how to do the trach care. Even glorious Gaylord Hospital was not accommodating to her disabilities. Mm. We had to bring our own Hoyer lift so that she could have it right in the room and not be forced 
to be catheterized against her will because they were too lazy to get one of them from the other floor when she needed to go. This is what I'm talking about. We're expendable. And most people say, who would want to live like that anyway? There's no quality of life. They'd be better off gone. No, it is our right to have a fighting chance to live with dignity and pride in the community with as much freedom as possible. Well said there, Elaine. And, you know, I think another thing is that doctors can make mistakes. <laughs> doctors don't always get it right. Uh, I, in the case of my mother-in-law, in her 50s, she was uh, told by a doctor that she had uh, primary biliary cirrhosis and that she would have, you know, maybe if she was lucky, she might live uh a few years or, 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 or six months or, you know, they, they, they didn't think she would last very, very long. Well, she, she lasted till she was 93. <laughs> and, and she proudly said she outlasted the doctor who gave her that diagnosis. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. <laughs> so, you know, there's so many things that have to be taken into account with these things. And uh, anyway, go ahead. Well, well I, one of the things that I, I, I always think about is how do we prepare our friends, neighbors, community members to have these conversations, right? Because I, I think I often think about something that uh, Dr. King would always say, right, that there's positive peace and negative peace, right? Positive peace is full of tension. Negative peace, right, is avoiding the tension. And so how throughout our lives and how in conversations with our friends, our families, do we have these conversations about life and death, right? What, what as a group, right, y'all as progressives talk about this often, but how how did you get to the point where you felt comfortable having these conversations? And for those who, you know, will listen, who might be listening now, who want to better engage, who want to grapple and be in that positive peace, right? What things helped you to have these conversations and, and what, what, what things allow you to talk about, right, life and death, and joy, right? Because there's definitely pain, right? But there's also joy. And so how how have y'all kind of come to that? Or, or what things do you use to kind of help you in these conversations? Well, that's right. Oh, go ahead, Delaine. Sorry. Uh, I know. Um, see, it's been a part of my life. For my whole life, I just didn't for a long time understand the part about ableism and disabilophobia. But 
Um, I personally was always weird. Everybody said so. And, you know, and I had some fairly significant emotional issues that I tried to keep hidden so they wouldn't put me away. But every time I visited an institution, a mental hospital, VA hospital, you know, old age homes, that's what they called them back then. I knew these were my people. And especially when we visited locked wards, I was afraid I was going to get spotted and they wouldn't let me out again. So but for many of us, it's because we have some personal experience with somebody close to us that we can then share and then find other people that can understand when we talk about it. And the ones that aren't ready to deal with it, they don't want to talk about it. And so you have to kind of sense that. And it's really, really important for people to avail themselves of the wisdom and experience and resilience of those of us who have been through this struggle, either ourselves or with people that we love. So we learn from direct, personal, unavoidable, undeniable experience and wisdom and hard won, painfully won understanding. Yeah, I think everybody has um, experienced, if not directly themselves, they have somebody who's a family member or somebody who's a a friend or or who has difficult experiences uh, with the medical system or just individually in their life, things that shape the way they, they function, you know, and if you if you start at that point and you say, hey, you know, what kind of experiences have you had with um, people looking at you differently? That's already a starting point for uh, a, a dialogue about what it, what does it mean to be looked at differently? I mean, everybody who's like me, who's left-handed, <laughs> Knows from, the, <laughs> knows from the time you're born that you are different <laughs> and you are you are never going to use a pair of scissors the way somebody else uses a pair of scissors you are never going to write on a page of paper and not have people look at you well, well how come you write that way you know what i mean there's just all those things are just basic ways that people look at people differently and you know when it comes to uh the rights of people, you know, to to not have be pushed into that corner of medically assisted suicide. I think we have to understand what are the contexts of people, how how people end up in that context. And you know, it's not an easy struggle because, like Elaine said, some people just do not want to even go there. Do not look at right now in our society. We're talking about a whole a whole 
section of our people who don't want to even recognize the history of our country, who don't, who don't want to deal with that, right? So imagine how, how, how big the issues are if we can't even deal with that. And then you want to have people look at the, the individual realities of individual people. It's pretty tough to get people to look at everything, you know? Definitely is. I, as we near the end of our time, um, I, what, what issues are y'all working on and where can people find you? Where can people get connected to, to y'all? Okay, there's uh, Progressives Against Medical Assisted Suicide. Um, you can write to email that is Progressives Against MAS. All just Progressives Against MAS at hotmail.com. Now, I can say I'm a member of this, but I'm also a member of Second Thoughts Connecticut and also Not Dead Yet. If you want a lot of information that is like more extensive national and international, go to notdeadyet.org, notdeadyet.org. And if you would like to contact me, send an email to my name, E-L-A-I-N-E dot K-O-L-B at Comcast dot net. Or look me up on YouTube or Google. Same with me uh, um, as part of uh, Pamas, but also uh, if people want to send me an individual question or, or email, they can just send it to my name, Frank Panzarella, P-A-N-Z-A-R-E-L-L-A at hotmail.com anytime, and I'll be glad to talk with them. And I, uh, my, my favorite thing uh, uh, in all conversations is to ask people, is there a song to connect us to, to advocacy uh, and, and, and to the things we discuss to ground, right, where we are? Are you ready? <laughs> are you ready? <laughs> okay. We are not dead yet. And we can boogie with the best of them. We are not dead yet. We can laugh and have some fun. No, we're not dead yet. Boom, boom, boom. We're fighting for our freedom and boom, we'll boom. never die because our spirit mm -hmm. will live on. Now the outcasts of the outcasts become the leaders of today. The ones we used to throw away to die are teaching us a better way. Well, I'm positive if you're HIV, you can understand the song. The last will be first and the first will be last, and there's more than one way to be strong. 
When you take away our services, we don't know how we'll survive. Since death is cost effective, do you want us dead or alive? I think I kind of know that one. <clears throat> when you take away the things we need, we don't know how we will cope. Or when you cut our means of security, you take away our hope. But we're not dead yet. No, no, no. With the best of them, we are not dead yet. Laugh and have some fun, cause we're not dead yet. Fighting for our freedom, and we'll never die. Cause our spirit will live on. We need to have Medicaid for everyone, not cut it or destroy it like they're planning in Washington. Some of them are planning to destroy Social Security, Medicaid, and Medicare. Well, <clears throat> yeah. if Medicaid does not aid us, if Medicare does not care, millions of us will suffer. How can you believe that's fair? If you want to cut that funding, stop the welfare for the rich. Billions bail out the billionaires. We're trapped down in the ditch. It's a battle cry for freedom through the healing power of love. It's the hope we share from our visions deep inside, up above. It's the peace that comes from the struggle to be as brave as we can be. We are proud, we are humble, and the truth will set us free. Cause we're not dead yet. And we forget with the best of them. We are not dead yet. And we can laugh and have some fun. Cause we're not dead yet. We're fighting for our freedom and we'll never die because our spirit will live on. And our ancestors are with us and we need to honor their struggles. <clears throat> We're not dead yet. Well, thank you so much, uh, Frank and Elaine, for being in community with us. Um, thank you thank so much you. for having us. Yeah, we really appreciate it. No, no. So thank you all for listening and connecting with us on Just In Time Conversations, WNHHFM 103.5. Thank you to our guests again. Until next time, let's continue to plant the seeds of change so we can grow together. And thank you. And thank you for what you do. Wow. Good job, Lane. Thanks so much, Justin. And music is a cure for everything, I'm afraid.